Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast. If you're hearing this, then you are not on our private members-only podcast feed where we have our public episodes like this one, but tons more amazing mental wellness content, including our therapist circles, on-the-go articles, parent-focused meditations, and special episodes you won't want to miss. So head on over to yescollective.co, become a supporting member, and we'll get you your own private podcast feed today. Grief is often an unseen and unacknowledged companion for many of us throughout the holiday season, whether we feel the loss of a loved one or feel the sorrow of another's loss. In this very special holiday episode of the Yes Collective podcast, Jenny Walters and I, Justin Wilfer, talk with grief educator and licensed therapist, Vanessa Fierstadt. We dive into defining grief, how we come to acknowledge and process grief, the importance of rituals around grief, and the use of non-ordinary states of consciousness to access grief more fully. Vanessa became a young widow at the same time she was coming to work in mental health. As a wife in her 20s, deep in the throes of loss, she struggled to find a place as a young griever. Vanessa enveloped herself in a process of mending. She began to connect to her own broken pieces with light and meaning by specializing in grief work for those in more complex grief. Today, she channels her lived experiences and specialized training to create containers for courage, support, and community in the face of despair. In 2023, She'll be doing this work at her newly opened Kintsugi Grief Center. If you're interested in how you can honor your and others' grief throughout the holidays, then get a cup of tea and settle in. You're going to love our talk with the wise and wonderful Vanessa Fierstadt. We wanted to have you on, Vanessa, so that we could talk about something that is really important for mental and emotional health, but I don't think it's talked about that much, and that is grief during the holidays, grief and sadness, confronting and processing and holding painful emotions during this time of the year when we're supposed to all be happy and going to holiday parties and yeah, I just wanted to foreground why we're having this special, this very special holiday episode of Yes Club. I guess. Much needed. Hugh Mariah Carey. Yeah. It's funny because I'm like, well, doesn't everyone want to talk about grief and <laughs> the holidays? I mean, truly, that's, I actually find it uh, a relief to name uh, a reality of, you know, what's happening. And I, I think that tension between the joy, the, the seasonal, mm. you know, pressure for joy, not to mention traditions that now may be interrupted by the loss of someone, how to create new traditions. I mean, there's just so many layers and richness to this that I can't believe it isn't talked about every season. Um, I'm sure it is somewhere by someone, but I'm happy. I'm really glad we're doing this. And yeah, I'm eager to learn and deep dive. Awesome. And so we have Vanessa. So we would love to just start by hearing a little bit about you, how you came to work in this world of grief. Yeah. And I so appreciate that we're doing this because 
you know, this is so, I mean, I do this every day with people and in my life and the, the biggest part about ha- opening more avenues for people to talk about grief. And like Jenny said, it's like, you know, it's the one thing I think, especially around this time of year that people don't want to talk about, they want to avoid it. But when we actually bring it up in conversation, people are like, oh, I'm so glad that you're actually like naming it. And we're having a, a conversation about it because I've been holding it. And there's no one I can talk to that I feel, you know, that I feel safe that I can grieve with without feeling judged about it or that I have to wrap it up in a bow, right? Like kind of this symbolic thing. Um, So I'm really glad that we're having this discussion to open it up to people um, in that way. Really meaningful. I think leaning into it rather than leaning out of it, which I think is a societal thing. Yeah. Right. So Vanessa, I'm curious, do you feel comfortable telling about your, your story? Yeah. So as I, I was a new baby therapist in, in my life and had, uh, I had met my, my partner and the love of my life, Greg in college. And when I met Greg, he had been, he had just come out of treatment and remission for his very, rare form of cancer called Ewing's sarcoma when he was in his 20s. Um, So we met in college, he had already gone through his treatment. And um, we fell in love, we had this, you know, beautiful, you know, I was thinking about it's so interesting. I was thinking about him this morning, as we were coming into this podcast, uh, as I was talking to someone yesterday about remember the good and not just the painful. And there were moments and memories that I had this morning of him that I hadn't really sat with for a while. And so it's such a beautiful thing. Uh, to come in here and talk about him today. Um, but he was the light of my life um, and forever changed my life in this way. His cancer came back in 2000, well, before 2011, but progressively came back more and more as our relationship progressed as well um, and eventually ended up taking his life. I We got married near the end of his life, um, which was beautiful. And he was able to be surrounded by all of his family and friends at this time. Um, But in that I had just been, I had just graduated from my master's program. I was working on my hours when he died and I had no idea um, what grief was. Grief was not talked about in my program as I've talked to a lot of other therapists about, Um, you know, we had something called um, aging across the lifespan, uh, you know, which is kind of like how we age, you know, we think of, we get older, right? We, our grandparents may die, but we don't talk about disenfranchised grief, you know, and here I was, um, I was 26 when Greg died. So I became a widow when I was 26 and, um, I didn't fit anywhere. You know, I had just moved to LA so we could be together. And I, I tried with all my might to find a place for myself where I could feel support. And, um, I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't a war widow, so I was kind of outcast from that area. People were like, oh, well, he wasn't, you know, in combat so that you can't join this group. And, um, you know, it was and then I found other groups, but they were, you know, in they'd had a lifetime together, you know. And so I'm, I'll never forget. And I use this often. I went to a grief group of people who had been married for, you know, 40, 50 years, they were in their 70s and 80s. And here I was in my 26 year old self. And their message to me was, you're so lucky. Um, You have the rest of your life to live to find somebody. Um, And to me, at that time, I was in such a state of depression and sorrow and shock that I, and I don't remember exactly what I did in that moment, but it's, it carries with me to this day, because I remember thinking, 
that's the worst thing that someone could say to me. I don't want to live like the rest of my life. You know, I don't want to live the rest of my life without my person. So this kind of started this shift in me of, I didn't have what I needed in my disenfranchised, my life, my grief. Where do we, where do people go? You know, and this was just me as a widow, let alone talking about children who lose parents. We talk about perinatal loss, miscarriage loss, you know, all these different types of disenfranchised losses where people might not have a place to go. Um, so this, I mean, his, Greg's death really projected me uh, onto this journey of trying to create something that I didn't, that I didn't have, uh, that I needed so badly in my, in my loss. Thankfully, I did find a wonderful therapist, individual therapist who works in grief and she's still in my life and she's wonderful and thank goodness for her. But having that community piece was so important. And so that's how, that's how I got here. And, you know, at the beginning of my journey, I was not, you know, time needed to heal so I could actually see clients in grief. But naturally, somehow, I think people knew that I had experienced this as a widow and as a therapist. And so people would refer people to me and they would kind of trickle in. And I was very like, okay, let me test this out. Let me see if I'm ready. And eventually over time, it just blossomed into like, why wouldn't I do like, why wouldn't I do this? Like, this is my heart. This is my soul. Like, so that, in a, that is how I got here. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. I've heard this, this a few times now, and it's always, there's always new details and layers to it that you share, Vanessa. And it's, um, Thank you for sharing that with us. And and um, I'm as I was sitting here, I'm struck by the fact that I think the three of us have different experiences with grief. I'm thinking about all the work that you've done, Justin, with parents who've lost children, and then Vanessa, what you just described. And I and I feel like what shows up in my work as a therapist a lot is working with people with very abstract grief. So parents who are still living but they are not in relationship mm -hmm. with uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, I work with a lot of adults who've been with narcissistic parents and things like that. Um, so strained relationships, fractured and ruptured relationships that create an immense amount of grief and loss around what what never got to happen as a child. And um, so it's just interesting. I'll be curious how our conversation unfolds today in terms of those different. Um, it's all grief, but experienced in such in such different ways. Yeah, I appreciate that. And there's so, you know, the, you know, we talk about this and not, you know, there's death loss and then there's non-death loss, right? And this mm -hmm. part of grieving this part of the life, even though the person's still living, right? But having to having that absence of them and that part comes up so often. And so I'm so glad that you you bring that up because we want to make sure that we're validating that for people as well, that that's real. So Vanessa, I I'm curious, was there a moment in that journey? where there was there like an aha moment you're like oh this is grief or like oh this is like there's like some some kind of big revelation or was it this gradual understanding of what grief is and how it can be traversed i think in my personal life the the depths of um depression that I felt and not wanting to like be here anymore after he died was a very profound feeling for me. That was something that I had not experienced in my life. And I couldn't uh, tell you that that loca was located on a map before, you know? And so that for me was huge. Um, and I was like, Oh, like 
people feel this. People feel this being on an island. People feel this not getting off the floor. People feel this despair, you know, and, and that for me was the first time in my life that I had experienced that. I think this revelation of the needing of community and needing support around it and, and the lack there of it, that part definitely came in waves and came gradually in this part of, you know, we need to do better for our grievers. We need to do better in supporting them. Um, so that those pieces, I guess, to, you know, they kind of, you know, blended along the way. So I'm curious, and I feel kind of silly asking this so far into our discussion, but what what is grief? You know, I often equate or I often describe it to people as like a phantom limb. You know, if you could think about having some appendage of you that you've had all of your life and then all of a sudden you wake up and it's gone or you can't walk in the same way that you did or you can't pick up the spoon for your cereal in the morning, like having something that's yours that you've had all along that you know all of a sudden shifts without without warning, right? And that we're kind of thrown into it. And so for me, grief is really that piece of the absence of something that we've we've had, we've known our familiarness, um, and really having to sit with and sort through the missing of those pieces, right? And what do we do with that? Jenny, how does that land for you? It lands. I was also thinking about the kind of grief for the thing that you've longed for that that you see other people experiencing and you and you don't get to experience it for yourself for some reason. In terms of, I'm thinking about parental relationships and things like that, and just coming into connection with that kind of grief, um, which is, I think, more abstract and it's uh, easier to sort of not come into contact with and not connect to. And yet, when you do, it can be quite overwhelming, especially when you're, I think, just like when you're doing like parts work with folks and stuff and you kind of come into that connection. Um, but I'm curious, Vanessa, about, I, you know, so much of grief, the grief conversation, I think is being had by folks who are on the other side. And I'm wondering when there's a place where you're able to get past that kind of, I can't get off the floor, acute pain, and you're able to experience some feeling of the depth of love and the beauty that's woven in that immense pain. And I guess I'm just wondering if there's any words for the folks that are in this holiday season that are in that acute place um, where they're not to this other place where there's something that gets to feel rich mm. about this experience. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. If that's making sense. Yeah. It does. You know, I think this, this piece, especially the acute pain, you know, and we've talked before about the fog, you know, and I think this survival of, especially for me, the first year is like, I barely remember. I mean, I remember pieces of it, but this part of having that brain fog, having that grief fog, you know, are we really go into this survival mode, I think, in coping. In these moments with people who are in the acute phase, I always talk about and us coming up with talking about a plan in terms of like creating an A, a plan A and a plan B for the holiday time. You know, some people just kind of want to go in and wing it, which I think is okay. But I think sometimes having something, again, that grounding knowing where I'm going to be, who am I going to be with? What am I going to be doing for myself? Am I going to be in, you know, doing some of this ritual, you know, being able to also have it just be a day. You know, we've been talking a lot about holiday in my grief groups and some people are like, I don't want to do the holiday. Is it okay for me to, you know, just kind of, we're not going to do Hanukkah. We're not going to do Christmas. We're not going to do New Year's. And it's like, 
absolutely. Like this is also the time to cultivate, you know, a different path, right? And be able to create new rituals for you or no rituals at all that actually bring some sense of like, I can take a deep breath here. So I think that part is really important. And and I and I there's this piece of this quote I love by Elizabeth Kubler Ross, and it's it's a long one, so I'm not going to say it right now. But it, the the feeling is, if I can sit with you on the other side of this and look at you and and tell you that I've been here, and that there's a there's another side to this, right? Kind of trusting that we're going to make it through this together. You're going to make it. Let me hold that. Let me hold that hope for you, because there was a time also when I didn't think I was going to make it through this either. And so that really lands with me for people. And I, you know, I let people know, I, I don't share my story with people unless they ask, but I let them know if they ask, I'll do what I can't, you know, and most of my grievers are, that's such an important piece for them to know that I, someone's sat on the other, you know, across the room from them on the couch and saying, you know, I was there. So you mentioned ritual. Yeah. Can you say a few more words about grieving rituals? It seems to me, well, okay, so I yeah. said I wasn't going to mention, that, um, just for the listener, right before we got on, I asked Vanessa if she read this book. It's called The Smell of Rain on Dust. And and I said, okay, yeah, if you hadn't read it, I'm just not going to say anything about it. But now it just came up because one of the points that the author makes is that we live in a society that is profoundly lacking in 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 real grieving rituals. I mean, we, you know, we have, we have like the funeral um, and then there are some cultural rituals that, that might be a little bit more common, but for the most part, we're kind of flying blind when it comes to grieving rituals. So can you say more about this? Yeah. Yeah. And we just did a little workshop last week um, for the practice about you know, what are rituals and this part of it's really fascinating when you when you look back in history, I mean, in our especially here in the US, like I think we really don't have a grief culture. Um, and we just had, you know, we just came out of uh, the Day of the Dead, you know, Dia de las Muertes. And, and what a beautiful we talk about ritual, what a beautiful cultural ritual in that in that culture. And I think, wow, we really miss, you know, we for me anyway, like leaning into that, what does that look like if we don't have it as a culture? There's private ritual, individual rituals that we create, and social ritual. It's a container, right? If we if we look back in history, we've had rituals for all, you know, for for bringing, you know, rain and nurturing our earth, and like bring, you know, and people will do all sorts of amazing things. For uh, every life transition for for every transition, yes, you know, and what a beautiful thing it is. And I, I, for me and my work, this is like the piece where I really like, if I could nerd out all day on different rituals that have taken place and what they were for like this this for me is just so nurturing and feeds my soul um so on that you know i think a lot of what's left out not only are we not talking about grief we're not talking about well what do we do with that it's not just a verbal thing i'm about movement right at the beginning of acute grief we are frozen. We become like this solid, like I can't move. Right. And, and for me, um, so much of the work is about thawing out and being able to, you know, melt some of that really heavy grief away. And I think in, in doing rituals for the self, um, and this could look like, um, and we've been talking lately in my groups about holiday time and what are personal rituals and, you know, it can be simple, little things like 
lighting a candle for our person while we're still around our family and like they're in the center of the table, right? Um, it's really interesting. This this tangents off a little bit, but it's on the same breath of, I think so many families are going into the holidays with everyone thinking about their loved one, but no one wants to talk about it. And this came up in a group I had the other day of, well, I want to do this thing for them at dinner. And I was like, well, great. Well, I'll just do it when I get there, but that makes me feel really nervous. And I said, well, then don't wait till you get there to have the conversation. Bring everyone into the dialogue. Let's do this together as a family without you going into it, feeling more anxiety than you already need to. Right. And they were like, oh, I didn't think, I didn't think I could do that, you know? And so bringing people into the ritual, because most people, when you bring this in, they're like, I want, I really want to do something. I just didn't know what, and if you would be comfortable with it and I would, you know, and so there's so much eggshells going on. And so it's just like, let's just put it out there, you know, and it becomes such a beautiful, then it becomes less individual and more again, social, right? Because everyone is in a collective of grieving together in a beautiful way. So the rituals can be co-created in, in that space. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the this is the beautiful thing for me. I think people hear the word grief and they go, Oop, don't go there. Oop, that's painful. Mm. Oh, I'm gonna be on the floor. I'm gonna cry. Like, and I'm like, but it doesn't have to all be that way. For me, so much meaning and beauty and joy has come into my life that I know would not have been there had he not had I not lost him. And I think in doing these rituals, we're evoking and we're allowing those pieces that love. Remember with love. We don't have to remember with pain. Yeah. Vanessa, what do you like what came up for me just then was, oh, if 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 you feel like if we did this ritual together, you'd be on the floor crying, that's okay. Like yeah. like can right. like can we create a space where that's okay? Like Right. Right. And be in it together. Right. Cause if we're both feeling that, it's like, you know, and I think there's that vulnerability. You know, that people are so, it's interesting, you know, people are so concerned about, well, how are the people going to feel or, you know, and if they're doing it together, it's like connecting in that sorrow. Yes. I hear two things right now, you know, one, and I feel like there's two things I kind of want to talk about or ask more questions. One is the simplicity of the ritual and being surprised by what might happen. And maybe it's that you end up on the floor crying and there might be also something that surprises you. You know, last night, my wife, wanted to light a candle for the people who were killed and injured at club Q um, and feeling into an immense sadness around, you know, that, that shooting and, and, and just grieving. We've have some other queer friends who've experienced death threats being called into their businesses and things like this. And I noticed in that moment that I had kind of, disconnected and dissociated from experiencing any emotion around that news and that my wife was really in it and really feeling it. And I could feel sort of a resistance around wanting to light a candle, but I also was really curious about what that might be like. And so she lit the candle and she had written something and it was just us and our dogs. And, um, and I, and it, it really transformed something inside of me in terms of just giving permission for some feelings to be felt and some grief to be felt. And, um, also a moment of connection with my wife. And I was just really grateful and it was just so simple. It was just this little, you know, 
two minute thing that we did together before we, you know, went on and watched our shows or whatever. Um, so I just, I just love what you're saying about the simplicity and kind of allowing there to be some room to be surprised by what might, what might happen and not assume what, what you think will happen. Yeah. And then the second thing I just wanted to ask you about was this walking on eggshells piece, because, you know, what I hear so much, and I think I recently heard there was a study that like 70% of people don't know what to say to someone who's lost a loved one. And the, the advice I always hear is always say something. It's better to say something than nothing. But then you also hear all the things not to say. And so I can really understand why people feel confused about how to be around someone who is grieving. So I wonder if we could just talk about that for a minute, just as people head into the holidays and maybe spending time with yeah. a loved one who's lost someone or something in some way, um, that eggshell piece. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really great. And it's something that comes up all the time, you know, um, for grievers and also for family members of, of what do I say? What do I do? And we know this to be true as grievers. You know, I think a lot of people want to take it, they want to make it better. They want to, they want to take our pain away. There's, and I say this to people, there's nothing that you can say that is going to bring them back. So be gentle and kind with yourself. Do not feel like you've got to conjure up some magical right thing that's going to make it, make it better. For me, I tell people to show up, be present. There were so many cards that were sent to my house, so many grief books that showed up at my door, which by the way, was really funny. Um, and I remember what I remember the most is people who showed up, who would just leave soup at my door, people who would show up just to sit with me. For me, the showing up and the presentness, and we hear this repeatedly in groups and individual too, about people who say, I can't believe so-and-so hasn't reached out. It's been six months. I can't believe this person hasn't called me or texted me. Um, that really is painful to me. And so I think from a lot of people, they want connection and they want to be seen and heard. So for me, I say to the people who are out there who are not in grief, be present, show up, let them know that you're there. There's nothing that you need to say or no magic words that are going to take the, so, the pain away from them. But they're going to remember that you came by. They're going to remember that you brought that cup of soup, mm. you know, they're going to yeah. remember that you sat, that you sat with them. Um, in terms of, and Jen, you're asking about words, you know, and I think this is authentic being able to say something like, I know that there's nothing that I can say that's going to make this better, but I'm here for you. You know, and I think grievers appreciate that authenticity because mm -hmm. it's not, you know, um, something that, that they can't connect with or that feels like a facade to them or feels. So I, I guess that's kind of, um, you know, what yeah. I would say in terms of, of being and showing up. It reminds me of something that happened with my mom after my father passed away. What you were saying about six months later, eight months later, you know, when, when he first passed, you know, of course the whole church shows up and we had like 30 bunt cakes and which I, ate all of, and we had, you know, people coming by with casseroles. And I mean, they really turn out in the Midwest. It is like a hot dish, <laughs> just extravaganza. Um, but two years after he passed, I was visiting my mom and I was heading out with friends and my mom was standing at the kitchen sink and she was, she was crying and my mom never cries. And I said, you know, mom, what's wrong? Are you okay? And she said, I would have really liked to have been 
included in some of your plans. I was just busy going out with friends and doing my thing that I'd always done. And she said, you know, everyone comes by the first three months after you lose your, after you lose your husband and then they forget. And I'm still Mm. very much missing him and grieving him. And I feel very lonely. And I mean, I just, we just, I just, you know, held her and, and brought her out to dinner with me. And, and I felt so terrible that I had been, uh, so ignorant of the pain that she was in as a grieving widow. And I was grieving Mm. my dad in a totally different way. Um, so I think that what you mentioned is really important about the continuing to check in and show up. Yeah. When you, thank you for sharing that. And I, I have goosebumps, by the way, you can't see them because my sister's but when you said that, I have goosebumps. And, and this part, and I want to say this, and this is important too, that each person in the family is going to grieve the person in a different way. And that's okay. And that part's important. And you're not supposed to know all the, right? And this is that part of having dialogues together about our grief that I think are so imperative and so important, right? Um, and this piece, you know, we often call this the drop-off, whether it's the, the six-month drop-off or the year drop-off, where people show up in droves, right? And then the year comes and it it's quiet. And grievers have this sense of like, but I'm still grieving. I'm still going to be grieving for a long time. And so to to, the, to add to the, the conversation we were just having is this beautiful piece that you're talking about of don't only show up in the beginning, continue to show up through the life, right? I will never forget this. And I, to this day, well, I know who it is now. On his birthday, a beautiful bouquet of flowers would show up to my door. For me, it was such a beautiful gift that someone was acknowledging his birthday and my love for him on this day. Because again, in grief, when we're talking about their birthdays, we're talking about our anniversaries. Their death anniversaries are also important, right? All of these very specific dates and times, then we come into holiday time. Dates are so important for grievers. And so I think that's an imp- a, be- a beautiful thing to bring in too, of how do we show up for people? Do we Do other people know those dates as well? When someone acknowledges those dates for us as grievers, we feel really seen and heard that we're not we're not the only one. That's so I think that's so good to hear because I I, I think a lot of people think I don't want to bring up something sad. I don't want to right. I don't want to, you know, bring us back into something painful. And if I if I yes. send the flowers, it's it's gonna make them feel bad and sad and Yeah. And it, it, it's interesting too that this person sent the flowers on his birthday, which is a celebration of his life, like rather than like yeah. on the day of his death. For me, there was something very symbolic about it. it was his it was the day he came into this world, you know, and that was really beautiful to me. Yeah, this piece that you bring in of like letting people people often feel again this way of like, oh, I don't want to make her sad. I don't want to make him sad. I don't want to make them sad. I think hold on to this for who's listening, who's not a griever. We are already feeling it. You acknowledging it for us actually makes us feel like we're not going, you know, we're not yeah. alone in it. We're not as isolated yeah. in it. We want you bring it in, makes us feel seen, you know? And so for me, I'm like, send the thing, make the phone call, bring the soup. Like I'm going to remember that, you know, that, and that for me is such a beautiful thing that I wish we, we did more of for each other. I'm imagining the person, the people, I mean, and I used to be one of these, uh, who, is afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing because they don't want to make the grieving person sad. This person, um, I'm imagining 
has not learned how to grieve themselves. They haven't gone through any grieving themselves. And it wasn't until, so I, uh, one of the things I do is I work in the world of childhood cancer. And so we've walked with many parents through this. And I thought I understood grief um, because I had been to so many funerals, but it wasn't until I had a really profound grief experience a couple of years ago that I was like, oh, no idea. Um, But before I I go down that hole, one of the truths in relationships is that whatever we are uncomfortable with in ourselves, we're going to try to squash for other people. Yeah, whatever we're not okay with inside, we're going to squash for other people. And so that's one thing that I just want to throw out there for any listeners. And I know this because of my own personal, <laughs> I, I I have squashed so much in my life because of what I have been uncomfortable with inside. That if these feelings are coming up of like, oh, I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to go there. Um, oh, man, that is a sign that like you're ready for your own grief journey. It, chances are they're not listening to this podcast. I'm, you know, I'm just saying. That. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, yeah. well, maybe, maybe somebody has it on and their partner's listening. Yeah, exactly. They listen differently, <laughs> and a shift, a shift gets to occur. Yeah. yeah, but this part, you know, this is what happens on the other side in the in the room here that I'm sitting in now. Is people say, "Well, I didn't." why did they say that to me? Why did they say like, Oh, like, you know, and I think you're right on Justin. It's and I often tell people it has nothing to do with you. You know, it has to do with them being uncomfortable with death for themselves, having these conversations with themselves, right? People want to make it wrap it up and you're going to be okay. You're going to survive, you know, all those things. Oh no, of course we want to hear, you know, we know those things. Maybe we don't really feel them as truths um, very early on, but I think that hits home that most people you know, are sitting with a lot of uncomfortability. So when I have these workshops or do these educational talks, I often ask the people in the room to think about how did your family talk about death? Did you talk about death? Did you go to funerals when you were a child? Did your parents talk to you about how the body works? You know, and and most people have this very interesting and profound dialogue as we come back together to talk about wow, I didn't even think about that. You know, I didn't think about how we processed or if I was blocked off from that in myself, you know? Um, And so it really leads to some really beautiful discussion about how do we cultivate that as adults now without being scared. And one thing that I have discovered is that we don't have a choice about whether or not we're going to grieve. Like when we experience loss of someone whom we love and who is close to us if we don't grieve it gets stored you know like the body keeps the score and so if yeah, uh, yeah so for uh, i this is this is one thing that that was part of my profound grief journey was like oh whoa whoa there is so much here there's so much grief here that i had no idea was in my body <laughs> <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was a lot of just weeping and wailing. And it was like, it didn't even have any content at some point. It was just like, oh my God, this is just like waves. And it's, and it's like, oh, I've been holding a lot for a long time. Yeah. You remind me of that, that quote that I often say that I love, which is um, grief is just our love with nowhere to go. I don't know if you've heard that 
quote. And it's that part of, you know, being able to like, what do I do with this now? Right. And when we talk about movement and ritual, this is the part for me and the sorrow and the like allowing ourselves to emote that. And the realization for me has been that when I have been able, and I've, I, I think I've, I've had like two really profound grieving experiences where it's just been like huge. And what I've experienced with both of those is that that quote, uh, grief is love with nowhere to go. It is, it's more the feeling was grief is like the, the like aftershocks of love. And that I can't really open up for more love in my life until I've really done the grieving. And so it's, it's, it's almost like this like cleansing of like, oh, after I've done this, like, my God, I, I have more room in my heart for more love and more connection and more peace and presence. And, and what a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's exactly what we, what we know as therapists, right? Which is that when we when we kill off one bad emotions we also kill off good emotions like the 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 spectrum gets we start to live on a little island right. of just a few things that we can tolerate and when we start to allow the pain we also allow more joy and it starts mm-hmm. to grow and grow and grow yeah. and it's i mean it's and i think yeah. i just i love that quote too it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing to remember and this piece you're talking about is something that i often talk about with my clients it's this is about balance you know at the beginning grief is like up here right it's like i can't feel any of this joy i've got so much grief it's so heavy the waves are so high you know and i think in being able to express to connect to talk to be in sorrow together to be in community together we start to notice what oh, i'm still here right i'm you know how do i take care of me in this how do i survive in this you know and that this we hold both you know for me grief work is not about omitting the, you know this is often the first thing people say when they call me how long am i going to be grieving vanessa <laughs> you know and i'm like are you ready i'm going to tell you like this is not the answer you want to hear but as long as your love is still alive like that's how long you're going to grieve you know and and that's the but that's the truth right now the difference is we're not going to be in that acute phase for the rest of our life right but we want to make sure that we're we're in the love and in the grief and in the love and and having this very like balanced right for me it's about over time equilibrium so that we can find that um, and be present in that i had a therapist once I was grieving a relationship. This person was still alive, but it had been quite a doozy. And uh, I asked her that question and she said, 18 months. I think she was just trying to like, okay, yeah, just yeah. give me like, throw yeah. me a bone. Yeah, and the yeah. thing is in 18 months, the grief had transformed, you know, the, the right. experience right. was very different. So she was not wrong, but I just was like, okay, 18 months, 18 months, you know, just kind of. Right. Right. You <laughs> hold on. Down. Yeah. There. There's that container, you know, yeah, like yeah. someone giving There's you a the time frame, you know. Yeah. yeah. But I do tell people that the sooner that we can connect, the sooner that we can do, for me, support grief support groups are like the best medicine for for grievers. And so for me, I tell people when they're ready, especially not in acute grief, people aren't ready then, but when they're, when they feel ready to connect, for me, I think this part is when we can start to have some of that. Uh, alleviating and connecting and bringing people into that. Um, 
you know, that part of like, that I think gives people a container too. And it's not so much about time as it is about when we're having, when we're finding our tribe. We've talked a little bit about the holidays. Uh, You encouraged people to develop not only their individual rituals, but these social co-created rituals um, that if people want to just avoid the holidays altogether, you know, that that's, that's certainly an option. Now I'm thinking, all right, so we get through the holidays and the new year comes and I'm curious if there are different rituals or different tools um, or ideas that you have around really continuing to grieve in a healthy way as you move into a new year. I think this part, okay. So I think especially as we're coming in to holiday time, the grief and the anxiety gets really ramped up, right? We really see a kick in um, these peaks. And so I think after the holiday time, there is a sense of relief, but also like now what, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm, I'm the, the holidays are gone, but I'm still grieving. A colleague of mine who I adore, her name is Dr. Terry Daniel, and she talks about um, restoration and being able to be, you know, we're often in our grief, but we're not often mindful of moments in which we're, res- we're in re- restoration or restored, you know. Um, restorative moments, I call them, right? So really being able to pay attention to, I'm actively choosing to be in restoration. What are things in my life I'm doing, right? To maybe not be in my grief, right? It's already in the background, right? And so talking to people about what Mm -hmm. restoration looks like, are there rooms in the house in which you feel more restoration than you do other rooms of the house, right? When was the last time that you moved your body in a way that felt restorative? What does that look like for you? Being being mindful of the isolation and the social, right? And finding a balance in that. Are Is there restoration in either one of those for people? Um, so finding that balance of the restoration and the grief, I think for me is really important. Um, and this piece of continuing to have community, continuing to have a grief tribe, um, continuing to say their name, continuing to have dialogue with people just because, and this is important, like we talked about, just because holiday time is done doesn't mean we're done. Again, that part of showing up, you know, and being present, I think is really important. Well, I don't want to take us off in a direction, but I, I do was going to just question. take us off in a direction. So I love that you're going to, to <laughs> you to both do, do well, both okay. take us off well, and we'll get. We'll zig and then we'll zag. Um, Okay. (laughs) So last month we talked about woo and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to circle back as the kids say, can you talk to me at all about the role of woo and spirituality that plays in people grieving Um, and and how you work with that as a therapist? I'm just curious if, or or, or however you want to speak to it. I think it's so fascinating to me how people might not want to talk about it but when i bring it up when i bring up spirituality and i bring up you know i often ask my grievers what do you believe about what happens to us where when we die where do we go what ha-? you know are we connected um i'm a big bond person in my work so i often talk about the bond that we have with our loved one and that in grief our bond is the one thing, our love is the one thing that grief cannot take away from us. 
And so I do a lot of bond work, you know, and this piece of, you know, what is that? Does our bond have a color? Where is it in our body? Is it outside of our body? Like, you know, and, and having these discussions with people uh, and people really connect to this piece and people bring in a lot of their own ideas about Jenny's spirituality, connection, talking to our person. Um, I've had several people who want to um, connect to the mediums, right? And have these discussions, but have kind of like this, should I, should I not? And my, my biggest thing there is I tell people, if that feels important for you, explore the person, explore their background, these types of things, do yourself a gift and go in with no expectations. You know, I think the hardest thing is when people go in with, I want to talk to Brian and I want him to say this and I want to, you know, they have a very direct, like, I want this. And I go, you're, you might not get that. So I'm very realistic with them about that. Go in, take what fits for you, leave what doesn't, like allow it to be present. I've had a, a mixed blend. You know, I've had people who say they've had really beautiful and profound connections through mediums. And I've had people who've had said they've been really disappointed by it. And so I think being gentle and mindful of that for everyone, it's going to be a different experience, you know. Um, interestingly enough, we know this to be true. Like I have a lot of chats and we, we know this through different um, grievers. David Kessler writes about this in his book about his mother's death, that people often come through through energy and through like electricity. And so people will often talk about, um, I was at home and the lights were off and like the fan just started going off, you know, or the clock on the radio, the clock, the radio clock is stuck at the time, like of the, when he died and it won't move. Right. So different things show up in energy like that. And for me, I have people, if that, for me, if it has meaning for someone, I'm like all about it. I'm like, lean in, you know, and most people want to lean in. Most people are like, you know, I know someone who they find, um, they find coins uh, around and they're like, that's, that's them. Like every time there's a coin on the floor, like it shows up right when I'm getting outside of the car or like it shows up, you know, so for me, I'm all about the symbology and signals and signs for people. And if that provides meaning and comfort for them, I'm, I think that um, brings a lot of joy and a lot of um, peace to people. Mm -hmm. Um, so in that sense, I think there's a lot of that. Um, and I think grievers, and I will say this, there are some people who are like, Nope, that doesn't fit for me. That's not my jam. Uh, I don't believe that. And I'm like, great. Like for them, that's not going to be something that we're going to work with. Right. Um, and so we have to be, we have to honor those, those uh, parts as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Jenny, I'm curious. Um, so I was going to take us in a very similar direction. So you and I no were like way. on the same. <laughs> my right? mouth. Um, know, that's my why mouth. we're co-hosts. Boom. That's right. Um, so Jenny, I, but I'm curious now you're, you're kind of walking through your own grief journey right now. I'm, I'm just super curious. Are there any uh, practices, anything in, in this world of spirituality that you are kind of reconnecting with or connecting with that you're finding helpful. Yeah. Well, and Vanessa, just to loop you in, my, my mother is in the last part of her life and she's, um, on hospice and, uh, could probably be there for a long time, but she's, um, had a very steep and sudden decline recently. And, and, uh, it has, wow, does mother grief kick up intense stuff. Oh my Lord. And it's, it's thrown our whole family dynamic into 
conflict and it's just it's just been um it been painful to go through and fascinating honestly as a therapist to witness i've just been like wow this is like we are really in it together and um and so what's been happening for me i shared in our last woo podcast yes, justin yes. i keep having these um visualizations of like um mother deities like yeah. mother mary and um this goddess, this Indian goddess, and you know, that represents the divine mother. And, and I just keep having these, um, moments where usually right when I'm waking up in the morning and I just have these like visualizations where they're just holding me. And I have to say, it brings a lot of comfort, um, because a lot of the grief is not just the physical, you know, the, the loss of watching, you know, my mother die and, and knowing the loss that's coming, but it's also the, the, the complex relationship that we've had. And there was a lot of, a lot of, uh, com I'll just say a lot of complexity there, you know, and, and mm -hmm. there's, um, a lot of loss and grief there. That's not concrete, you know, it's just very emotional. And so that, that has been, that has keep showing up. So I just kind of keep going with it. And then this is not so much spiritual though. I have to say it's feeling very spiritual is my, I'm, you know, I'm seeing, I'm working with an internal family systems therapist right now. And, um, wow, the, I have never cried so much in therapy in my life. And that's saying something. Cause I am, <laughs> I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm a crier. Like, you know, it's not hard for me to connect to tears. Um, wow. And I have to say that cathartic crying, I go in and I feel like, oh, this is never going to feel better. And then I have an IFS session and I connect with these young mm -hmm. parts. I have a really intense cry. And then I feel what you're talking about on the other side, which is this immense love, this immense capacity for connection and, and the love that I have in my chosen family. And so it's been, I get chills thinking about it. It's been very rich and it's just been a, a, a tight, close tension between pain and beauty. Just boom, 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 you know, the whole, the whole way. Oh, I, I get so excited when I hear that stuff because my question, Vanessa, for you was around like the particular practices that can kind of move people into deeper stages of grief. And so I think IFS is a practice that can do this. And I think IFS, I mean, absolutely has a spiritual yeah. component. to it. Absolutely. And Jenny, I appreciate you bringing me into that dialogue. And I, I recently heard this and I think I visualize it, the compassion tent, you know, we're all under the compassion tent, you know, together and, and in this, in this place together. And it made me think about that as we're all kind of in our little, our, you know, in our screens right now, but all grieving in different ways, you know, and, and connecting those pieces. Um, and, and Jenny, you brought something up too, that I really, which is really beautiful. And I think so important, you know, grief work is not always pretty. And when I say that, I mean, the relationship, we don't put our person on a pedestal, you know, and I, I tell people that when they come into group, like this is not about just the good stuff. We it's we are going to grieve the good, the bad, the in between Oof. the nitty, the oh, gritty, the <laughs> right? right. And, oh, my gosh. You know, and people are like, oh, I can say the thing that he made me pissed. Like, I, oh, yeah. you know, I was pissed that he didn't bring the stuff in from the trash. Like, I'm feeling guilty about that. I'm like, this is what it's about. Like, we need to talk about those messy pieces because if we weren't, we were not being authentic, right? About the life and the love that we had. Relationships are layered. They're complex, you know? And so I really appreciate you bringing that in because 
I think a lot of people go, oh, well, thank goodness. Like, I, didn't, I didn't know I could say the things about him that didn't, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And the IFS work, the parts work is so powerful, right? Because so much, I think a lot of our, a lot of youngness comes out in our grief. Tender, you know, we become, mm-hmm. you know, these, t- these tender parts, these child parts, these, you know, to be Jenny, that visualization of feeling held, mm. you know, really resonates with me. You know, it's like, who's holding me now, you know, mm-hmm. and where and being so that really sits with me. And so I think what a beautiful thing too. I'm glad you're connecting and having those experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, I, there was one visualization in IFS where I, I, my, my mom as a little girl came in and the, and myself as a little girl and we were like, buddies. And it was this really Mm. beautiful moment of like, oh, we would have been, I think we would have been good friends, you know, Mm. (laughs) but maybe, maybe would have been different than mother daughter was in our jam, but I think we would have been good friends, you know? Um, and it makes me think of Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, uh, when she was, um, her, her, her partner was dying and was also dealing with drug addiction. And Elizabeth Gilbert was just in all this immense grief and confusion. And she was she was seeking to communicate with her partner's higher self. She was like, I can't, I can't reach you right now, but I can maybe think about communicating with your higher self. And that's where we can, we can be together. Um, and I don't, I, something struck me about that as a beautiful grief work when you are mourning the loss of a complicated relationship um, or a relationship that was filled with a lot of love, but also a lot of pain. Jenny, I just, I, I want to say that, that was what my most recent profound grieving experience was about that we talked about, I think two yeah. episodes ago, uh, in the breathwork session in Sedona. So Vanessa, I, I, last month I was in Sedona for a retreat and I don't, have you ever done holotropic breathwork? I, I'm not sure about the holotropic part, but I've done breathwork and also, oh, by the like, way, Oh. Love Sedona. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so, you mix, so mix Sedona with like really intense breath work. So have you done, um, so I, I think in, in other contexts, it might be called shamanic breath work or mm. somatic release breath work, but it's basically yeah. like 60 minutes of intense breathing and it's like a non-ordinary mm. state of consciousness. And, um, so anyways, no. I, the retreat was not, you know, I was not going in thinking about my grandfather who had passed away two years ago, but he, he it, mm. because of the book, uh, the smell of rain on dust that I'd been reading leading up to the retreat, that was a part of what was going on in this retreat. And one of the things that was coming through is like, I never properly grieved him because he was such a complex character. So many things about him that I could not just embrace and mm. I mean some really big ones and uh, during the retreat there were moments in some of the practices that we were doing that allowed me to grieve not not him but some of the pain that he caused and so it was like grieving that pain and then letting that go and then during this breathwork session which was one uh, the most intense experience I've ever had in my life. It was just, I mean, uh, just amazing. And I was able to connect with my grandfather's spirit in this really, for me, it was this really just clean way. And, and so this idea of connecting with his higher self or higher 
I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But it was the sense of like, oh, I've acknowledged and I grieved all the pain that you caused. And I let that go. And now we can just be here. And then I felt like I was able to kind of like walk him over to the other side um, and have felt, uh, I mean, there was a lot of just wailing and tears involved in that, but it, it, but it felt so good to be able to just honestly confront who this man was, but then also experience this, this love and then just the simple grief for, for him. Wow. So profound and so beautiful. Uh, yeah, well, and so, oh, unexpected. So, oh, yeah. So, I, I guess the real quick question I have is: Do you what do what do you think about these like more ecstatic kind of transcendent experiences that can lead people deeper into grief? So, breath work would be one. Psychedelics would be one. Uh, what do you think about them? I think you know, and we'll talk more later about what's what's what I'm cultivating, what's happening, and bringing some of these pieces into this new center that I'm I'm building, and I think. For me, again, movement, if we can have movement in any, again, physical, energy, emotional, body work, breath work, um, I, if people are in and people want to move and they're open to move and be open to receive whatever comes, I think it's beautiful. Um, and I think being able it's to powerful. do, you know, I do a lot of, it's powerful. It's powerful. I was just sitting here on this couch the other night with someone who, um, they're like, I haven't seen her in a long time, you know? And I was like, do you want to see her? Mm. You know? And we sat in this room together and we did a guided visualization and mm. sat with her. And like, there was this sense, like we, when they came back into this room, they were like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't even know I could do that. You know, I didn't even I could, know I could connect with yeah. her in that way and have, you know, and such a beautiful thing to be able to provide and you know, that they could they could go there anytime they want, you know? And so for me, I think it's um, a gift to have that. If people are open to experiencing what might come, like you said, Justin, like, I don't know what was going to come, but I, I was open to it, whatever unfolded and leaned in, leaning in, leaning. right? Leaning in being, yeah. Oh, well, I want to be sure that we get to our final three questions that we ask every guest. And it feels like yeah. an abrupt <laughs> shift, you know, um, but <laughs> we can maybe continue with this theme in your answers. Sure. So the first question is, if you could put a post-it note on everybody's fridge tomorrow morning, what would that post-it note say? I'm so glad you're here. And is there a recent quote that has changed the way you think or feel? <laughs> I'm, as Jenny knows, I'm a huge quote person. And I was thinking about this one today, again, in, in the theme of movement. And the one uh, right now that's really sitting with me is from uh, Christopher Poindexter. And it says, um, she writes things with her movements that I, for the life of me, could never write with a pen. And this part of, again, moving, you know, whatever form that might be, and the, again, powerfulness that comes from movement. And so that one has really been I'm going to take that one. I have not heard that quote before, but I love it. And I, <laughs> I'll yeah, I just send it feel to like, you. <laughs> like, yeah, we, yeah, we can write with our movements, but we can never write with our pen. Yeah. And then the final question is what is giving you hope right now? Yeah. Well, I would say two things. As Jenny knows, I have been, and this is the, the work that I've been doing has been moving me to take more action in, in this work. And so I'm in the process right now of launching and opening 
um, a grief center here in Pasadena. It has, and as, as I've shared this with Jenny, like my energy has shifted. I think with COVID, yes, I also had a, a death of a friend that happened uh, earlier in this year. And I think it really kicked me into a, I say, Greg got me into this work and Jess really propelled me into making this center. And my energy has just been on fire in terms of building a tribe and a community for people to come together. And so I'm really um, in the throes of it right now. And it's really, I feel very artistic in it. It feels very creative. And this pairs into, as Jenny knows, my other my other space that provides me so much of a sanctuary, which is um, I've found and fallen in love with with clay and I have gone down the um the clay rabbit hole and um I've been doing ceramics and um being in the studio has really given me a lot of hope in my life and a lot of when we talk about transformation you know heavy a heavy bag of clay into creating something with levity and lightness and the movement <laughs> and the movement and the movement and um so, and so I'm putting these two worlds uh, together and um, the, the clay, I'll just share this with you because it, it'll bring it in, I think, beautifully. There's a, there's a Japanese word, which you may have heard, um, called kintsugi, and it's the ceramic word in, in Japanese for repairing and mending our broken pieces. And rather than throwing things away, we mend them. And so the very dear friend of mine who passed was in my ceramics community with me. And so... Uh, this just kind of naturally came to be Kintsugi Grief Center. Um, and so bringing these pieces Perfect. together in my life. Yeah. So that's that's what's happening I'm on so, this end. I'm so excited for this Grief Center, Vanessa. Yes. We need it so desperately. Oh, we and need I think it. We I need feel it. very yeah. lucky that it's like going to be 10 minutes away <laughs> in, oh, the, in the hood. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Justin, when you say this, I want to just bring this up because you bring up a good point. For me bringing these pieces in the community pieces yes we're doing grief group but then we're also doing these community parts and doing things like the breathwork bringing people in to do grief you know grief and and yoga workshop you know these types of movement grief and art um so that other piece that is so that movement that yeah. flow oh, yeah beautiful oh my gosh vanessa this has been amazing amazing thank you so much i'm so glad that we were able to connect and do this episode Jenny, thank you for connecting us. Oh, yeah. Thank you both for for having me so much. And can I tell you, like, as I often tell Jenny, like, I often feel just like the silly grief person, like, you know, the grief person. And and I, to have people who want to openly talk more about this for me brings me a lot of, again, energy and excitement. And I'm so grateful to share it. And I'm so grateful that people want to talk more about it. So thanks for having me. Well, you've... You found your fellow grief weirdos because we're, we're, we're like, oh, that's, that's, that's deep we're and possibly, it. yeah, that's deep and possibly painful. Let's go there. You know, that's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, wait, will this end up with us sobbing on the floor? Okay. Great. I'm in. Let's, let's, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate uh, you both. Thank you uh, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents, so let's spread the love.